And um, Lou and I, I was interning um, age 19 uh, for one of the congregations uh, under Bruce's oversight in Harrow in northwest London. And Lou and I were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. And there was a vacancy leading this congregation. And we went to see Bruce at his home and said, um, honestly, God's been stirring our hearts. We feel, you know, can, can we lead it? Um, and Bruce was very kind. And he said, we're looking for people with a bit more experience, a bit of theology, as in some. <laughs> <laughs> And um, they'd been through a slightly rocky time, so probably a safer pair of hands. And so we, we went off, and he was very kind to us. Um, and then they went through an interview process. And then I'm, I, I was trying to uh, honor you earlier. But then I said, then they started to listen to the Lord. <laughs> um, but someone, someone brought a scripture to Bruce and the team uh, looking for a new leader for this congregation um, about David being not in the original lineup and being out in the fields already serving. So what's really interesting is that was the same scripture when that someone from the congregation brought to the church wardens when we interviewed here at this church. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, what I wanted to say is then they didn't find the right person. Bruce came back and offered us the chance. Very raw. I'd barely been to church as a teenager uh, to get into ministry. And I, what I wanted to say was thank you for taking a risk on someone who knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, we, we learned so much under Bruce, uh, Bruce's ministry. All the good bits you get from us are straight from him. Um, he, he served um, in, he's an ordained minister in the Church of England. He served on the New Wine leadership team, heading up the international uh, work, took New Wine to multiple, multiple countries, starting New Wine conferences, empowering leaders and churches right across the world. Um, he moved down to sort the Welsh out a few years ago uh, with, his, with his wife, Sean, who is from Wales. Um, and he's come all the way from the valleys to be with us this weekend. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, I'd love you just to welcome Bruce Collins. Thank you. You know, he doesn't always tell the truth completely. <laughs> Prone to slight exaggeration sometimes. But it's, it's wonderful to be with you guys. And uh, I want to say it's actually a privilege to worship you with you in the earlier service and, and here this morning. It's just fabulous to be among people who love, manifestly love the Lord, enjoy his presence, welcome his presence, uh, really understand how to worship in spirit and truth. So thank you. It's been so refreshing and a blessing for me too. Um, uh, James asked me to give a short commercial at the beginning of this. Uh, I'll be really brief. As part of my international networking work with New Wine, uh, a bishop came over from West uh, Kenya, Western Kenya, uh, to New Wine at Shepton Mallet, uh, because of my role with the International Network, I was introduced to him. He asked me to bring a team out. Lorraine, were you on that first team? Yeah. And Lorraine traveled with me quite a lot. By the way, Emily, stand up, Emily, so people can see you. Uh, this is Emily uh, from Wales, originally Bradbury, but uh, she's now in King's Cross Church as an intern there, but also working uh, uh, and with a job as well. But she's managed to get away to, uh, from the internship and come down and be with us uh, th this morning and help in the ministry. And she's helping develop prophetic ministry in, in KFC. So uh, it's great to have you with us. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, out in Kenya, I, I was asked to teach classic new ones of kingdom, gospel, ministering at healings, the rest. We saw the Lord do loads of beautiful, beautiful things. And anyway, um, uh, but we also noticed the hunger, the poverty, uh, that men having to leave their families, go to the cities, sadly, many of them getting HIV, bringing it back to their wives, orphans everywhere, just the, whole, the farms going down and down, uh, mining the soil, not, not putting back into the soil what it needed, soil erosion, 
you, you got the picture. And people really starving and going hungry to these small, small farms. And the Lord spoke to, to us. And um, uh, the long and short of it is he said, you give them something to eat. And it was so vivid uh, when I was praying, he said that. And it was you plural, not you personal. You give them something to eat. I, I protest. I said, Lord, I think I've been told there are nearly a third of a million people in the greater Meseno area where I was praying, um, hungry people. Um, what could we do among so many? And by the way, Lord, our missions budget, we were giving about £100,000 a year away to missions that, at that time from our team. Um, but uh, our missions budget is 95% committed. You know, so what are our crumbs, uh, etc.? Well, he just said, follow me, that's all. And we've stumbled along behind the Lord, but I want to tell you, he is utterly brilliant at development. He's better than anybody else. I went to a conference where I was asked to speak to Assemblies of God, missions pastors and church leaders um, who are doing missions work in Africa. And somebody came to me after our presentation, I said, we're just stumbling along behind God. We're not development experts, and, the rest, and that's the truth. But this guy came to me, been involved in development, international development for years. He said, Bruce, the principles that you guys are following are right on with the latest thinking of, of development. Now, we didn't think that up, but he knows how to do it. And if we follow him, he's the one who does all things well. And by the way, I live off that, and that he chooses the weak and foolish things of this world to shame the wisdom of the wise. I've lived off that verse for years and years and years. Um, anyway... Uh, I'll just tell you simply that we started in the journey. We met an agronomist who's a Christian out there, Kenyan. Uh, we started these farm schools. We've now trained over 4,000 farmers. Um, your Amex Stadium down here um, can hold, I think, about 28,000 or something like that. Well, we've almost filled a stadium of families who are eating properly, but they've been discipled. The leader of the family, have been, husband or wife, have been discipled in the Lord. So it's a gospel, it's discipling, it's food on the table, it's ecological. Our farmers have planted over a quarter of a million trees with every one of them a, <coughs> a good purpose, whether it's fruit or improving the soil or breaking a stony ground, whatever. And... Um, building community, because every farm school is recruited through the local church as an expression of the mission, kingdom mission, of that, that church to its community. And so it's winning people to Christ, it's discipling strong Christians, and uh, there's a demonstration plot where they meet one day a week uh, to be trained how to farm, and it's very uh, interactive training. And uh, but 80% of the food from their demo plots, one, two acres, and it's a lot of food, gets given to the local church. So that the church is being empowered to feed the widows and orphans in the community. So the care for the poor is woven right into the heart of all of it. And God seems to be blessing it. And uh, the first adopter into a different diocese, now he was Bishop of Kericho, but he's now the, the Archbishop. He's a young, spirit-filled, magnificent Archbishop, uh, godly, gospel man, and uh, he's giving us headaches because he's talking to everybody about it and his bishops and saying, you need this. He calls it gospel hope for the rural poor. And now he's asked us to apply the same principles but in a different way in, in the slums in Nairobi. Different economic engines, not farming, obviously. Um, and, so, and we're still working on it. It's in a very much developmental stage at the moment. Um, but... Uh, but it, it gives us joy. And by the way, every one of our farmers is passing on their know-how to at least four neighbors, at least, and because the neighbors see this farm next door doing astonishing things in total contrast to theirs. How is this possible? Opportunity to share the gospel and to teach them. And if you gross that up now, we, we are about 80% towards filling up Wembley Stadium with people whose livelihoods are being significantly and sustainably changed. So, but the, here's the commercial. We're needing somebody who just eats, at, at, and this is not a big job, but eats administration for breakfast. I, I won't explain the circumstance, but somebody just loves organizing and making wheels turn properly. And I don't want to take anybody away from the ministry of this church or whatever, but if somebody feels a stirring, even to just find out more about this, or if you want, you brilliant at raising funds from different sources. I'd love to hear, okay? And if you just remember just Earth, 
you know, it's simply earth. It's, we, wanted, we believe the Lord led us to that name to mean that it's about simple, small farming, but it's also about God's justice, the kingdom of God, and, and about transforming even with potential to change the world in which. And this could flow out to country after country after country in Africa. It's already in Uganda, Tanzania, Haiti, but, uh, but we're also needing to find new sources of money to be able to roll this out further. Um, because we feel we've developed under the Lord a model that can actually work now um, and about empowering farmers. Yeah, let's pray. Father, first I want to thank you for this lovely church, what I've enjoyed with you, Lord, and uh, my brothers and sisters in you this morning, earlier, and now today at this service. And I want to pray simply, Lord, that uh, your word, your truth, Lord, will just inspire yet more faith in each one of us, because we're all longing to see your kingdom come with great power, Lord, to not only transform our lives or even our, just our communities, but as James led us to pray earlier, Lord, for the nation and the nations too. And so I pray for grace now, Lord, to rightly handle your word of truth. I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint my words uh, for, for all of us here, myself included, Lord, that we'd see you do more and more. Well, we pray these things in your beautiful Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want to read you two passages. Please don't jump to any over-hasty conclusions in my choice of them. Uh, I would have loved, by the way, to preach on the prodigal son, uh, but I, I, as I prayed it over, I just felt saying, no, I don't want to get in the way of that series you're doing here, um, but this is a, a particular thing I felt him wanting me to bring to you. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Um, and I, the context is just a day or so earlier, the Lord has done the first time that he's raised someone from the dead. Jairus' daughter, the synagogue ruler's daughter, he's raised from the dead, okay? Uh, then we read Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not, Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill, few people who were ill, and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. I want to show you a stark contrast to that. It's just three verses. Matthew, two verses, no, three. Verse 34 of Matthew 14. Now, the background to this is the Lord's just fed 5,000 people, not counting the women and children. He's walked on water. He's stilled a storm. And now they've landed on the other side of Gennesaret, okay? And uh, then there's, uh, we, we read this, uh, verse 34. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, and please, I want you to listen so carefully to every word here. When the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all who were ill to him and begged him. Not just, if you're in a good mood, might you help this one. Begged him to let those who are ill just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Same Jesus, same faith, radically different results. And uh, we know ultimately the Lord's the Lord. Nothing can stop our God. We were singing it earlier and the rest of it. Now, that's, that's true because God will always ultimately prevail in whatever he chooses to when, as the 
um, rains come down from heaven, with, uh, it doesn't they don't return to heaven without making the earth bud and flourish. So is my word that proceeds from my mouth. It will always accomplish the purpose for which I send it, okay? Because God is the Lord. However, for some incredibly important reason, we human beings have been given a God-given right to either advance the kingdom or resist the kingdom and slow it down. That's what we see in Nazareth. And we see a stark contrast with it at Gennesaret, where they were just bringing it on. Do you see the difference? Now, why is that? Well, uh, the, the bottom line is this. When God created us, right in the beginning, first chapter of the Bible, in his own image and likeness, what was the job he gave us to do? What was the entrustment that God gave to our first forebears? Sorry? Look after the garden. Yeah, my wife's a lovely gardener and she loves it, but it's even more than that. Sorry? I'm not hearing the word I need to hear. Maybe I need prayer for my, healing, my, my hearing. But people, I'm going to be, abbreviate time. Um, the job God gave our first forebears was to be responsible for the exercise of the kingdom of God. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over all the creatures, over all the earth. Comprehensive entrustment to humanity right from the get-go. What's our role in life and our purpose in life under God? And I'm talking about all humanity, not just the saved. Is to exercise the kingdom of God on earth. Psalm 115 verse 16 says that the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he has entrusted to humankind. That's why, incidentally, we've got to pray. God doesn't force what he wants upon us. You don't have because you don't ask, James says in, in, in his letter. Do you, do you see this principle? We're, we're co-laborers with God. It's always his kingdom, never ours. But we are the ones to exercise it. Now, here's another point. When Genesis chapter 3 happened, when the fall happened, our first forebears listened to the voice of the enemy rather than to God and ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the fall happened, God didn't say, oh no, I've got to wrap up the whole plan and change it all. He knew from all eternity what was going to happen when he made us. He must have made us with a measure of pain in his heart because he knew that to, to perfect this creature, humankind, was going to cost him his own son. Uh, we have no idea what that pain must have been for the Father, not least for Jesus himself enduring it. Anyway, um, but... He didn't change the plan because the Bible teaches us. He who's the glory of Israel, 1 Samuel 16, I think, or 15. He who's the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind because he's not like a man that he would change his mind. Paul tells us in Romans 11:29, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. They can never, ever, ever be changed. And I'll prove it to you. Read the last chapter of the Bible. The, the, the great judgment has happened. Now it's the redeemed in Christ who are there on the new earth. New heavens come down to a new earth, cleansed of the devil, all evil and the rest of it. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. That's the kingdom of God, isn't it? it it's always God's kingdom, God's throne, never us. But it says they, the redeemed human beings, will reign not for five days, but forever and ever and ever. Smile, people. That's where you're going, and it won't be by the sweat of our brow. It will be fun, it will be joy, and worship will be, everything will be worship of the Lord, and eternity enough will not be long enough to exhaust our discovery of just how magnificent our God is. Is this making sense? So you can look a little bit happier. Uh, yeah, a little bit happier. Uh, um, so, but... I want to show you another really important thing. Because God had entrusted his kingdom to humanity, after the fall where we, in our first forebears, lost the Holy Spirit, separated from intimacy with God, driven out of the garden, okay, 
um, God sets about saving us first by proving through one priestly people, the Jewish people, to all humanity that through history of hundreds and hundreds of years, that we human beings, even when God revealed his ways, his, the old covenant, in, in a form that was appropriate for people who didn't have the Holy Spirit, even then they failed him. And we see how quick God was to bless them if they turned to him, how slow and reluctant he was to curse them, but he warned them, if you fail to be light to the Gentiles, because you, the purpose of this, as it is for us too, to reveal Christ to the world, if you fail, ultimately, reluctantly, I'll send you into exile. But even as they were sent into exile, God was stirring the prophets to say that God himself, Emmanuel, was going to come and restore the kingdom. Now think about this, please. This is really critically important. How could God come in person to reestablish his kingdom on earth without violating the deal that he did with us. When he said, it's human beings who must exercise the kingdom. Answer, read Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Even though he was in very nature God, the second person of the Trinity, true God from true God, did not consider equality with God something to be clung onto when he came amongst us, but he emptied himself completely. Completely being found, the literal word is being a slave. That's the literal word of the, what that Greek means. But he did not and would not ever empty himself of his divine identity. Before Abraham was, for example, when he was challenged, I am. He knew what he was saying. They knew what he was saying because the I am is the holiest name of God. And they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. So he didn't lay aside his divine identity. He's God. But nevertheless, in the womb of Mary, God took our humanity to himself. So we have this deep mystery that none of us will fully grasp. That actually he was true God, but living in a truly human life. But emptying himself of his divine advantages over us, except one key, another key thing. He never needed to be born again. He was the new man from conception. And by the way, I'd like to say this to a few of our bishops in this country right now. The virgin birth, the doctrine of the virginal conception of Jesus is critical to understanding this work, the saving work of God. Absolutely critical. If you don't get that, you don't understand what God has done. But, so Jesus never needed to be born again. Humanly speaking... He was in perfect communion with his father from birth. That's why when he was a boy of 12 in the temple, the, the teachers of the law were astonished at this boy. They didn't realize he was God, but that, you know, that he had said, but where did he get that wisdom? The Holy Spirit was teaching him from the scriptures, and the scriptures had come through him as God the Son. Hello? Uh, when did Jesus start doing any miracles or uh, works that we cannot do in our own natural strength? Only started after when? Baptized where he, the sin, sinless one, was baptized into full identity with us in our sinfulness. From that, that's where the exchange happened. Where from that moment on, Jesus had to go to the cross because he'd taken our sin, the sin of the world, upon himself there. He had to go to the cross after that because he'd fully identified us, even though he'd never done anything wrong. And, uh, but it was, uh, he was tested in the wilderness. The Bible teaches God can't be tested. It's impossible. J read James chapter 1, verse 13, or 12 or 13. Read it. God cannot be tested. He can't, there's nothing in God's nature that the devil could offer him that would be the faintest bit appealing to him. You got this? Jesus in his slash our humanity being tested as a man. And how did he deal with the temptations? He said, buzz all Satan, I'm God. If you hadn't realized it, you're wasting your time because I'm above. No, he didn't. He dealt with temptation like we have to. It is written, Gegrammatai, the Greek is so strong, it can never be changed. Man does not live on bread alone, etc. He used the sword of the Spirit, just like we have to. So even in walking in holiness, 
all the rest. It's, yes, out of perfect communion with his Father. And there's, we must be born again into that reality in order to begin to grow in it. Whereas he had it from conception. Is this making somebody nod their head? Just to help me, okay? <laughs> uh, so, and then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went in full, but he came out in the power. By the way, consecration was what in his humanity. Consecration to the kingdom, will, and purposes of his Father was what was happening in the wilderness. Not that he never was consecrated, but he was taken to a deeper level, shown his ministry and so on. Um, but God will only empower for you or me or anybody, let alone his son, that which is true to his name and his word, that which is true to the ways of his kingdom. And that's why consecration to the will and purposes of God is critical if we want to move in the power. Many Christians felt, just bless me, bless me, we'll have more bless me meetings. And that's brilliant. We need to be filled, filled, filled. I'm not knocking that. But the key to power is consecration. Now then, and so I submit to you that what the Bible teaches us, and I'd love to teach much longer on this, there isn't time. But the Lord relied on the, the Father to give him the Holy Spirit without limit, and he used the gifts of the Holy Spirit to see what the Father's doing, to discern what was going on spiritually around him, to have super knowledge from heaven about the woman at the well that she had had five husbands, etc. He was relying all the time, but he was doing it as one of us, so that indeed he can say, if you're born again, as he explained to Nicodemus, you can see what's going on in the kingdom of God. If you're trained, you know, Paul says of Christians about these gifts of the Holy Spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant. They're not there to make us raving charismatics or pentagram. I'm not knocking any of that. It's actually, they're the tools for the work of the kingdom. Is this making sense? Yeah. And Jesus is the model par excellence, the perfect model of how these gifts can be used. I mean, it's not only limited to that, much more scope than he had time and availability to do. But he emptied himself with divine advantages and he did it as one of us. That's why he said, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who believes in me will do, not might when my father, on a good Sunday day when my father's in a good mood, no, will do the same things as I've been doing. But we've got to be trained and equipped. And we, we grow in faith as we use it and exercise, so we grow in faith for more. Is this making sense, dear people? Does this excite you? Do you realize who you are? I'm looking at everybody right now. But I want to show you something that's so, so important relating to those readings. And that is, I'm not using my notes anymore. I've lost that. Um, um, but you, Jesus goes to Nazareth. And, well, I'll just touch on a couple more. When he went into the synagogue on, on his second day after ministry, uh, Mark chapter 2, uh, there's some teachers of the law sitting there thinking to themselves. Nobody said a word. Why does this fellow, when there's this man who's paralyzed, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, Jesus was immediately where in his spirit what they were thinking. This is the Holy Spirit into his human spirit. That's the bridge between heaven and earth for you and for me if our spirits are born again uh, in Christ so that we're in communion with the Holy Spirit. Knew what they were thinking. Word of wisdom. Tell me, guys, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or take up, get up, take up your bed and walk? Church is very good at saying your sins are forgiven, but hey, come on. I mean, I love what I'm hearing here, but generally, the church doesn't do the other. Hello? The Lord says it's precisely the same king authority that does both. And, but you notice he had to confront, because these guys were affecting, the these are heavyweights, come down from Jerusalem. Mark chapter 3, there's a man with a crippled hand. There's already controversy about Jesus working on the Sabbath, healing people. And this is the Sabbath day, and everybody knows this man's with a crippled hand. By the way, that's an economic handicap in that society, a serious economic handicap. Does the Lord try to heal him? Straight off, no way. Spiritual shootout at OK Corral. Come and stand, come and stand in front of everybody. And then he confronts the lies, the darkness that was there. This is spiritual warfare, dear people, because he sensed that the faith environment is negative. So he said, come on, people, which is lawful on the Sabbath? He's teasing them somewhat, too. 
to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy. What are you guys in it for? Who do you think my heavenly father is? And he looked around, he glared at them. And by the way, the Greek is really strong. He was churned in his guts. That's what the Greek literally means. Churned in his guts with indignation at this nonsense that they were believing with man's religious systems. I'm tired of religious systems. We need reality. The world needs reality, not more religion. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting carried away. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, he confronts it. Jump to Mark chapter 5. Here's an amazing example of Jesus managing the faith environment. Because only after that says, then he's confronted the darkness in, in Mark 3. He says, stretch out your hand and it's completely healed. By the way, the Herodians and the Pharisees went out to plot together how to kill Jesus. This is early in his ministry. They hated one another. They didn't like each other at all. This is an unholy alliance that's already forming that the devil is orchestrating against Jesus. Anyway, Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 21 onwards, Jairus comes. He's a synagogue ruler. Falls at Jesus' feet, is in worship, and saying, my little daughter is dying. Please come and, and heal her. Quickly, please. Well, as it turns, and Jesus went with him. As it turns out, there's this lady who's had, uh, later they discover she's had a problem for 10 years. Used up all her money on the doctors and the rest of it. But she comes and interrupts Jesus just by touching the hem of his garment. That's all she did. But he felt the power leave him. And he, who touched me? And the disciples saying, you're crazy, Lord. They're all jostling you in the crowds. But he knew the power. Anyway, that's not the point. Poor old Jairus. My point at the moment. Poor old Jairus must have been hopping from one foot to the other. Jesus, come on, my daughter's dying. This lady can come back later. You know, haven't you got a decent sense of priority? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what was running through. I'd love to meet him and ask him one day. But anyway, um, he, and then the worst thing happens. Jairus' mates come around the corner. Lovely. They've done a pastoral sensitivity course. Uh, <laughs> Why bother the teacher anymore? Your little daughter is dead. I mean, talk about a loving, gentle way of telling somebody. I don't know what poor old Jairus must have felt at that. I don't know what I would have felt. I would have the most beautiful daughter in the world. Just sorry, guys, but I do. Um, but anyway, um, uh, but I want you to notice what Jesus did. I'm, I'm being very strict to the text. First thing is, Humanly speaking, we, you must understand, we must understand that Jesus ministered by faith, humanly speaking, in the Father and the truth of God's word in the Old Testament. And he, um, but the text says, ignoring what they said, that he didn't allow that negative this world viewpoint grab his own heart. He's never raised someone from the dead so far. Hello? Then he turns to Jairus, and I don't know what Jairus did, but this is the word of the Lord to him. Don't be afraid, only believe. Now, do we understand that fear is a powerful form of faith? You only feel fear if you believe that something bad either is happening to you or is going to happen to you. If you didn't believe it, you wouldn't feel it. It's as simple as that. You with me? And... That kind of negative faith comes from somewhere else, not from God, not from the kingdom, and, but it quenches true faith. You remember how often Jesus said, to, do, do not be afraid. The archangel said to Mary, don't be afraid, Mary, when he came to announce Jesus' arrival and so on. So, um, but anyway, the Lord was ministering first, and you see Jairus and his wife later, she comes into the story. Those two people on earth had more spiritual authority over their daughter's life than anyone else on earth, apart from the Lord himself, obviously. And what they believed and thought actually was quite important in this process. Another thing, really important, Jesus didn't allow any of his disciples, or let alone the crowd, come with him. Just three, Peter, James, and John. I mean, if I was Bartholomew, hang on a minute, why not me? <laughs> he, he took his three best, the ones who went up the Mount of Transfiguration with him, the three who were closest to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. These were his inner core. There's nothing wrong with leaders, by the way, having an inner core plus a wider and a wider for the sake of everybody. Anyway, he, 
um, uh, took, he was managing the faith environment. When he arrived with Jairus and those three at Jairus's household, they heard a faith environment being extremely loudly expressed. Hello? Yeah. You read this book? <laughs> they were weeping and wailing loudly. Lots of them. They had already gathered quickly. Weeping. Now, why do people wail, weep, weep, weep and wail loudly? She's died, and she's not coming back. Is that right? If they realize that maybe in 10 minutes' time she's going to be walking out of that house fit and well, hello, they'd be getting scaffold poles and planks to build a grandstand. I mean, when did you last see someone raised from the dead? You with me? But what was their response when the Lord said, the little girl's not dead but asleep? They laughed at him, mocked him, scorned him. Don't be ridiculous. Now remember, he's never raised anybody from the dead so far. And what does Jesus do? There's a great coffee shop down the road. Yeah. <laughs> off, off here. He didn't allow the crowds to come with him. Stay away. And what he took into that room was two things. The best faith he could muster, his own, obviously, humanly speaking. I know there's mystery in this, guys. But secondly, he took desire. I mean, the faith of Peter, James, and John. But he took desire. There were two people on earth besides Jesus who most wanted that little girl to come back. It would be Jairus and, and his wife. So desire is also, we must want, you know, I, I confess, I have ministered to thousands of people in my life. I am fear. I try to train myself now, fill my heart, Lord, with your love for this person. Because it's through the pipeline of God's love that his gifts flow. And so, and love wants that person healed. We're not just going through the motions of doing this. It's not magic or any of that. It's expression of the heart for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Is this making sense? So, so anyway, he, uh, he takes him in. A uh, little girl arrives. She stands up. And, I mean, so amazingly religious. Give her something to eat. She's famished. She's been <laughs> sick for, I don't know, a week, two weeks. She hasn't eaten a thing. She's famished. Give her something to eat. It's just so beautifully natural and practical. Yeah. Then he goes to Nazareth. Woohoo! Uh, you know, we've just seen somebody raised from the dead. Father, you're astonishing. It's like running into wet sand. <clears throat> and I'll just, one, one more example. If you go on to Mark 8, I'm, I'm not reading the text. I just want to be quick and brief. But Jesus had, goes to Bethsaida with his disciples. He'd been there before. You read in the early text, he'd preached the gospel of the kingdom, healed the sick in Bethsaida before. Now he makes a second visit, and they bring him a man who is blind. And Jesus does an extraordinary thing. He takes him by the hand, and he walks him out of town. Hello? We really need to notice these things when the Lord does unusual things. He took him out of town, and then for the Lord Jesus Christ himself, with perfect faith, humanly speaking, it takes the Lord two shots to get him healed. Sorry, I'm using ultra-theological language now, all right? <laughs> uh, it took him two shots. The first, he saw men walking. I'll just tell you in Kenya, this is Patrick Wilford um, and, and um, Arwen Bailey from one of our churches and our team going out there, ministering to the orphans. And there was a little boy there who was called um, uh, Oliver. And Oliver was six or five when they met him, but before he turned one, he was an orphan, and he had fallen. You know the old way of, I know most of you are too young to know this, but the old way of opening a tin can? where you have the lid come up and it's jagged because you've used this old implement to open it. Some of you are remembering is as old as me. Uh, but anyway, um, he had fallen before he turned one on his eye onto this blade, basically this ragged blade. And in the pain, had slashed his head, you know, he moved his head around. The eye was badly slashed. Um, and it, it, the result of it was that he couldn't see a thing the eye had, his eyelid wouldn't close and had been exposed to the elements from then on until they found him when he was six. So, and this is Africa, okay, with quite harsh uh, climate sometimes. Anyway, they ministered to him. They got the orphans to come and help. And after about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, his eye had started to move. The eyelid was beginning to, and he could begin to see. They took a break. 
Then they all gathered together, using the orphans as well, ministered to little Oliver. I have tested Oliver three years later, standing 60, 70 meters away from him, saying, hand over your undamaged eye, Oliver. How many fingers? How many fingers? Absolutely spot on. Colors, perfect, perfect sight. Jesus. I haven't a clue how the Lord does that. I haven't a clue. And he's so great. I'll tell you one more quick story. Uh, I just arrived out in Kenya and praying beforehand. But, you know, I, they build my faith when I'm out there because I see so much more happening. Uh, but anyway, I was due to preach, and we split the team. And I was due to preach in, in this church, but we had to take the team to another church to split them with the transport we had. Uh, anyway, they grabbed us and said, will you preach in this church too, please? The others will wait, and Africans are incredibly patient people. They did wait. But anyway, so I thought I'd better rattle off a quick... To, whenever you preach the kingdom of God, the kingdom always comes. We must understand that. Anyway, I preached a simple thing about the kingdom, and I screwed up my eyes tight. It doesn't help, but Lord, give me a word of knowledge. What, what do you want to do? And I felt him say to me, there was a woman in her 40s who had a problem with her chest, her breathing. Whenever the weather got a bit cooler and colder and, and more damp, she had, was coughing, coughing, coughing. I said, who is that, please? And the lady immediately put her hand up, halfway down this long, narrow church, lots of, just full of people. She came, I brought, asked her to come forward. I had Kate with me. I said, Kate, come help me. And uh, anyway, I um, then said, you know, how long you had the, she said, that's not the only problem. This, this, this eye, her left eye is completely blind. My knees are terrible. Hold it, lady. <laughs> and I want to tell you the truth. Bruce Collins at that moment didn't feel he had the faith to tackle that blind eye. I'm just being honest, realistic, okay? Prophesy according to the measure of your faith. My faith wasn't that great that, at that point. Anyway, uh, so I decided to be a charismatic fundamentalist. <laughs> the words that I'd been given was for a weakness in the chest. So the, now it's me playing chicken, all right. That's, that's the real truth. Anyway, Kate held hands on her. Uh, laid hands, come Holy Spirit, waited long. We had to go, you know, where the others were waiting. Come Holy Spirit, and inwardly, I'm desperately crying out to the Lord for the gift of faith, for this chest. No more, just for the chest. Chest, be healed, in Jesus' name, after waiting a little bit. And then I, I waited a moment, let the Lord do things. So then I said, look at me, please. And she looked at me, and she said, oh, I can see. She then saw the look of absolute astonishment on my face, <laughs> let alone Kate's. And, and so she turned around, and this long, much longer than this, or longer than, substantially longer than this building, there were three guys sitting on, on the shelf at the back of the church. And she called out, she put her hand over her, her good eye, yeah, her right eye, Hey, Benjamin, I can see. She named all the guys there. She still sees the doubts, the astonishment on our face. So she turns around, she looks out the window, the much lower window there. She counts three chickens on the other side of the field. She, said, she says to me, see? <laughs> anyway, I haven't a clue how to do those things. All right, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And what the world needs to see is Jesus. My point is simple. Bethsaida had said no to the kingdom of God. And it was like, even when the Lord had taken this guy out of town, he was still under a cloud, the edge of that cloud that was put up there by Bethsaida's rejection of the kingdom of God, which was preventing the reign of God's spirit. I'm using imagery now, coming through. Is this making sense? Yeah. Like that canopy they had put up was getting in the way of the kingdom. And Jesus says it later, you see it in Luke's gospel, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were done in you when I came first time to Bethsaida were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And you, Capernaum, will you be raised? No, you'll be cast. Because they'd rejected Jesus' ministry. Do you see this? All of us have the terrifying freedom, God-given freedom, to either advance his kingdom or, or hold it back. Now, this is where I want to finish. Every single one of us in a meeting like this makes a difference. 
And I want to urge you, before you even come, whether it's church on Sunday or a, your group, Kingdom Life group, whatever you call them, uh, uh, or out there in the workplace, wherever you go and with the Lord, um, be praying and eager and expectant. Say, Lord, I want your kingdom in, in me, but through me today even, Lord. And most of us are out in the workplace every day. That's where the church is most of the time. It doesn't, you know, it's lovely. This is the place where we learn to do these things and get fired up in our faith to take it out to other people. Secondly, pray for your leaders that they are blessed and encouraged and held to stand with them because, you know, the Lord says, if you want to build this tower, sit down first and count the cost. There is a cost. The enemy is not the slightest bit interested in sleepy churches that are going nowhere. When a church is serious, like you are, and I know you are, uh, about really pursuing the Lord for his kingdom, that's when he attacks relationships and he re attacks faith. We've got to keep short accounts with you. Love, love, love one another. Be vulnerable to one another. Speak the truth in love to one another. But and withstand all that nonsense of the enemy. Are you with me? So, but we need to stand as one. Because when the Lord looks, even on this meeting now... What he's looking at is the sum of all our hearts. And I know there's nobody here like this, but you know, I've spoken at some meetings in some countries, I won't name, where there's some who's sitting there thinking, this, this, guy, this guy is living in a fool's paradise. And they're, they're, they're not comfortably arms folded like, like some here are. Their elbows are turned down at the corners. They don't like it. They're, they're so unhappy with what's it. this we don't do this in our church. Uh, this is inconceivable to you guys. I promise you it's very conceivable for me in some places I've been. Okay? So, um, but, uh, but if there are, were to be anybody here, I think there could be some coffee arranged outside. <laughs> I'm not being rude. It's, it's, and please, there are people who've got honest questions. There's nothing wrong with that. If we're commanded to love God with all our minds, it's perfectly good to ask our questions. So I'm, not, it's, I'm talking to the committed now, but if you're on that journey to Jesus, well, get excited about him because there's a big future for you as well. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. I tried it, doing it my way. Even after I came to know the Lord, I had seven years running away from him later. And, and then he graciously brought me back to him. So, and I see the futility of doing things our own way and the joy, the sense of full fruitfulness and fulfillment when we do it with him. And hey, we can still say weak and foolish. Stupid Bruce. Okay. <laughs> you ask my wife, she'll corroborate that for you. <laughs> Um, but come hungry. But then also offer yourselves. Anyone who believes me will do the same things that I've been doing. Go for it, guys. And some will excel more than others, but one of their primary purposes, the ones who excel in healing ministry or prophecy, the rest, is to prepare God's people to do the same things. So to knock it, you know, to pass it on from, uh, etc. And your example in your groups or projects or whatever, your example of faith and stepping out and being vulnerable in faith is of such important in, importance in releasing others. But I've loved what I've been in here, what, what is happening here. It's beautiful. This is God's work and it's marvelous, I want to tell you, in my own eyes. It's, it's such a joy to see churches like this. Are you hungry for more? Yes. Let's stand. And as I was saying earlier, the, look, the Lord is looking at every one of our hearts right now, my, my own included, okay? Because it's easy just to trot these things out, but actually, where's your heart, Bruce? Okay, so close your eyes. And in the first instance, it's about each one of us individually with the Lord to tell him, in the light of what we've been looking at together this morning, celebrating and worship this morning, the Lord is saying, what do you want? What do you asking of me. So you tell him. If you've still got questions, say, Lord, I've got re honest questions. Please help me. Answer those questions for me. Teach me that I'm willing to be taught.
And if you want to offer yourself in a fresh way to the Lord, and it's not only about healing ministry, it's availability for the work of the kingdom, okay, in whatever calling God gives us. But it does include moving in, in the supernatural as well. That's normal Christianity. Then put your hands out in front of you. Not up in the sky, just out in front of you, saying, Lord, see my hands. With these hands, I'm make, telling you, I'm offering myself to you in a fresh way here this morning. And Father, I want to bless all these willing servants of yours and those who've been serving you for years, faithfully loving you, loving your people, Lord, loving your world in which you've placed us. I, I pray your blessing, your encouragement for them, the anointing and fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And Lord, release your power, that power which enables us not only to grasp the length and breadth, height and depth of your love for us, but also to reveal to all your works, Lord, your different works, your, your love for the world too. Come, Holy Spirit. But also, I pray, bring refreshment for the weary here. There's some who are weary in well-doing, the Lord says to me. I bless you with the Lord's refreshment for you. Freedom to rest for those who need it. Take time out. Thank you, Lord, that he's enlisting people now. Listen to him, people, because he's showing you desires that he is putting into your heart of what you'd love to grow into. And I bless you in this. And I do want to say, if we believe, and I know you believe this, the Lord wants to do bigger things for the nation. That means those who do know him need to be open, each one of us, to God doing bigger things through us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. And now for, for you as a church here in Ashington, your group of churches, Father, I pray, and this, make this your own prayer too, please. Lord, may we as your church here in this place become bolder, more faith-filled, courageous, intrusive in loving, gentle, humble ways to be salt in this community, Leaven in the lump, Lord. Change agents to the extension of your kingdom. Please do this, Lord, as only you can. And I also ask, Lord, you'd restore each one of us that place of the glorious freedom of a child of God, free of any sense of condemnation or past failures, disappointments. I just clean all of that off anybody here who's suffering from those things. Be released afresh. Every day, God's mercies are renewed. Every day is a fresh start with Jesus. And there are a few people here who actually I feel the Lord saying to me right now, you're struggling with a bit of inner guilt and self-condemnation. You feel you've let yourself, the Lord, other people down. And if you'd like to talk about it, come and talk a bit later. But I, I break the bonds that the enemy's put, tried to put over you because of those things and call you forth into freedom in Jesus. But sometimes we need to come into the light with those things and share them and ask someone to pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit. But Lord, I pray, glorify your name through all that develops through these lovely churches. For we ask it together now in Jesus' name. And the people of God said? No, no, no. No, that's, that's beautifully Anglican. The, the people of God said? That's, yeah. I, I like the other guy to shudder a little bit when he hears the church like that, okay? Well, I believe the Lord does. Yeah, please sit. Could I have James explain the ministry to you?